Is the cup half empty or is the cup half full? When it comes to following Jesus, neither of those are going to be adequate. They both fall short because they still contain emptiness. That's what we're talking about today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. Well, if you are listening in real time, we have just finished with Thanksgiving weekend, and I hope that you had a really great Thanksgiving and got some good time with your family and friends. Uh, We had a good time. Again, I was cooking and things didn't burn, nor were they raw and give us all food poisoning. Everything actually worked out, which is... uh, I don't even want to do with that. I think I should just probably never cook Thanksgiving dinner again because it will probably never come out that good. <laughs> How's that for an optimist? Well, this uh, this weekend was was a blast, and you'll hear in the sermon. I was listening to it again, and uh, it's a sermon about about giving thanks, and it's using the story that uh, that Luke tells in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus and when they were traveling on the border between Samaria and Galilee and ran into a village where it was a leper colony. And as I was giving this sermon and, and listened back to it, it sounds like I just had way too much coffee, which is totally possible. Or maybe I was just sleep deprived, but I'd actually turn down the volume in that whole first half of the sermon because I was I was pretty jacked up. But... Anyway, uh, I'm fine. I'm not having some sort of a of an episode. I just probably need to go to like a milder roast of coffee on Sunday mornings. Anyway, hope that you're doing well. And just to wrap things up on the Be Rich campaign, uh, again, if you were in church with us on Sunday, you got to hear the story about how we gave that extra donation to Habcor, which is a local mission that we support. Uh, Habcor deals with uh, homelessness um, in our community, and they have group homes where they help people out who have different disabilities and um, mental disabilities and also just have uh, been down and out for one reason or another and need assistance, assistance with cooking, with housing, with medication. Habcor does a great job. So we got to go down to Habcor last week and give them a check for $11,800. We surprised them. They had no idea it was coming. And their reaction was amazing. It was everything we hoped it would be. They were truly stunned and overwhelmed with thanks uh, that our church would do that for them. And that is just awesome. That is like what it means to be the church. It was so fun to do. And I be, the Be Rich campaign was a huge success. We gave away 500 turkeys, 385 bags of food. We uh, spent time... Uh, with Love Thy Neighbor, which is an organization that has a furniture store for low-income families. We help them. And then, of course, we all collected the funds to go out to Habcor. So big success. And I feel like everybody felt like we were on this ride of generosity. And I pray that that continues to shape us and change us uh, all year long. And now we're heading into just the fast-paced Christmas season, Advent season, and uh, I hope that as you do, that you take some time like you're doing right now and spend some time feeding your soul uh, because your soul can get neglected 
when that calendar gets busier and busier. It's great things, fun things, but make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. So we hope you enjoy this Thanksgiving message called Empty. Have a great week. So if you've ever been to a major concert, a major concert, there's something that all these major concerts will have in common. Usually, they won't start on time. They won't start on time. Because they're trying to build some anticipation. I remember uh, the first experience of this I had was when I was a teenager. I went to go see the Rolling Stones, and I thought they were old then. <laughs> the Steel Wheels Tour at Shea Stadium. I was there, um, you know, like 17, and I'm um, with my buddy. And I got to tell you, all the 40-somethings were doing stuff that us teenagers never would have done. I mean, I thought I had a contact high before we ever started getting there. I mean, I was offered things that you shouldn't be offering to teenagers. Let's just say that. It was quite an interesting crowd. I digress. We're, we're, we're in the Rolling Stone, right? And we're waiting forever for this thing to start. And it's taking forever. And then finally, you know, like half an hour later, big explosion. And then Mick Jagger, you stop me up. Stop me up, I never stop. You know, and he's, and he's doing his like dance. And the crowd goes nuts. Everyone's going crazy, losing their minds. And that's because they had built up that anticipation so much. You were just ready to just burst with excitement. This happens, too, at like uh, when you go to uh, like a college football game. How about that Penn State game, the whiteout? I heard stories about that. I mean, that's amazing. And, I mean, talk about anticipation. The game starts at like 2. You're there at 9 a.m. eating bratwurst. <laughs> like, that's, that's a whole nother level of commitment, the whole tailgating situation. So you're like, who eats bratwurst at 9 a.m.? I'm not, I'm not hating on that at all. I'm just saying. So, uh, so you, you know, everyone's getting like nice and happy and, and they get to the game and then, you know, they got the pregame music. It's building this anticipation. You know, it's like the, the dun, 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 Very good. We're going to have some fun here today. Very good, very good. It builds anticipation. Why isn't church like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? You guys are out there tailgating like 7 a.m.? Yeah, we're going to see some Jesus! Woo! Jesus t-shirts. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be so fun. Building, why don't we have that kind of anticipation when we're going to be in the presence of God? Why? It, well, it's because we've done this horrible, we've committed this horrible sin is we've turned church into something that feels more like an obligation to God than it is a celebration to God. Why have we done that? Nobody meant it. It just happens. But why don't we get all jacked up about being in God's presence? I actually think Scripture warrants this. Scripture tells us to get, like, fired up. And so we're going to do something. I just thought about this right now. This was not... 
So you know if, it's, if this goes south, this is getting cut out of the podcast. I think Psalm 100 is like this. So what we're going to do, I have no idea how this is going to work. I'm going to read, and you're going to do the dun, 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 okay? Come on, it's going to be fun. Ready? And a one, and a two. Dun, dun, dun. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Yeah! Now, see, you didn't expect that today. <laughs> Neither did I. Dude, that totally works. <laughs> Why? I think what this is saying is we should be building an anticipation. Every time we come in the Lord's presence, we should be fired up. We should be excited. We should be giving thanks and praise. Why aren't we like that usually when we walk into church on Sunday morning? Well, I don't know about you. I'm, this is a hypothetical family situation. Perhaps your kids, when getting ready for church, look like this. But for many, their experience of kids getting ready for church is something like this. I mean, I swear, you're fighting with, get ready for church. What's the matter with you? I told you to get ready, right? Again, never would happen in your house. But it's like, it's just, it takes every bit of life force you have to get it together enough to come to church. It's like by the time you get to church, you have been pummeled by life. Not just in getting, not just in getting ready, but like everything that happened to you all week. You're just getting like an epic life beat down. And so when you walk into church, you might not feeling so anticipatory. Oh, we're going to be in God's presence today. No, you're just like, thank God I made it. We actually showed up in the same car. Hey, listen. The truth is, when things are going wrong in our life, or when we're struggling, going through hard times, it's hard to feel thankful. It is. Whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, you, you start thinking, well, my glass does not feel very full. And it's hard to give thanks when your cup feels half empty. I think this is the truth for a lot of us a lot of the time. And what happens is you just, you're busy, and so you stay busy, and then all of a sudden you just become numb to everything because you don't stop long enough to even just process your life. So you just keep going. And then all of a sudden you get numb even to God, even to church, even to being in the presence of the Lord. What would happen if we had a different kind of expectation every time we came to worship God? I think here, herein is the problem, is that we have made being thankful an emotion. It's good when it's good, but when it's bad, it's gone. We made being thankful an emotion. So here's, here's what Jesus did 
uh, it, this is an episode in Jesus' life and ministry um, that ends up being about thankfulness. But there's a lot to this story, and I think a lot that we can learn. This is uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, that's actually important. Uh, I know sometimes when, we, when you start reading a story, you feel like the intro is like throwaway. But it all really matters. So, on his way to Jerusalem, why were they traveling on the border of Samaria and Galilee? So, if you can picture in your mind's eye, Galilee's in the north, and then Samaria. And then, under that, Jerusalem. So because Samaritans and Jews were enemies, you couldn't just roll through Samaria and do a straight line to Jerusalem. You you put yourself at risk for that. So what they would do between Galilee and Jerusalem is they would go around, and they would go along the border until they could go around and get to Jerusalem. So what do we know? We know that then he is on the border of both of these nations. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. So why were they there? Well, they were at the border. They were at the outskirts. They had been placed outside of society. And as he went, he ran into them. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So what do we know so far? Well, we know that for these lepers, their life was more difficult than just having physical pain. We look at the story of these 10 lepers, and we say, well, well, what do we know? Well, it wasn't just physical, it was also spiritual and emotional pain. So leprosy back then covered a whole variety of different skin diseases, and the idea was they had to be placed in the outskirts of town. They couldn't be around people, which meant if you were seen to have leprosy, you had to leave your life as you knew it and go uh, be an outcast until such time as you were healed or, or whatever. It got better. And interestingly, if you had leprosy back in Jesus' day, it was believed that you had it because it's your fault. That you did something to sin against God and you've been cursed with leprosy. Or even, it could have been you, maybe like your grandfather or your great-grandfather sinned against God and therefore you were cursed with leprosy. Either way, they thought it was because of sin. And then you had to leave your whole life. You couldn't associate with anybody else. You left your family, your job, everything. Imagine the emotional, social, spiritual, and physical pain that lepers had to endure. We also know that they were not believers. They were not believers, but they knew who Jesus was. You see, if they were inside the border of Samaria, right on the border, and they were Samaritans, which it turns out they are, they were not believers. Uh, They were close enough to Galilee that they would have heard the stories about Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. And so they cry out for him to have pity on them. And the way it worked was, uh, the only way they could be designated as clean is they had to go in front of a priest, and only a priest could decide if they were clean or not. Otherwise, tough luck, you are still an outcast. All right, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, I love, I like pausing right there because it's like, what would Jesus say? I mean, what are all the possible things that he could say in this situation? Uh, you're a Samaritan. You don't believe in me. Um, it, I mean, it could have been anything. 
He could have said anything, but here's what he said. Jesus always says something that seems surprising. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. I find this interesting because he doesn't say, you're healed, go show yourselves to the priest. In fact, there's no indication that any healing had happened. He says, first, go show yourselves to the priest. They, they knew what that meant. Uh, okay. Now, maybe on the one hand, they just thought, well, I got nothing else to lose. Might as well listen to Jesus. I feel like that sums up 85% of Christians. What do I have to lose, man? Things are bad. Might as well follow Jesus. Doesn't seem to matter to Jesus. Like, hey, just listen to what I say. And as they went, they were cleansed. I love that. As they went, they listened first. The faith part came first. And then as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine their experience? Talk about being excited. Won't make you do the song again. But imagine about being excited. They had just hit the lottery. They went from being outcasts to cleaned, designated clean, go back to their life, back to society. I mean, imagine what you would be feeling in that moment. First of all, where's Jesus? That guy, I gotta give him a hug, I gotta do something. I gotta thank him properly. He changed everything, he changed my whole life. It's like the kind of excitement like they used to do, kind of going with the game theme, you know. I don't know if they do this anymore, but like they someone win the Super Bowl, Peyton, Peyton Man win the Super Bowl, I'm going to Disneyland, right? And they get a, you know, Peyton and Mickey with the photo op. But there's always this like excitement. So what are you going to do now that you, you hit the lottery, win the jackpot, you are healed? Like, I'm going to go see Jesus. Verse 15. One of them, one of them, When he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Interesting, that's that's Jesus' punchline. Uh, Actually, no, no, excuse me, that's Luke's punchline. Luke, as he's writing this, the account of this story. Because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And I bet you they thought, oh, those must have been nice Jewish lepers. No. And he was a Samaritan, an unbeliever, a a foreigner. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Here's one of the things that fascinates me about this interaction with Jesus and these lepers is is that according to Jesus, there is a difference between being healed and being made well. A difference between being healed and being made well. It's like, what happened to the other nine? Like, we never get their story. I hope they lived great, faith-filled lives. We don't really know. But I sure bet they thought, well, well, maybe if I had no cup before, my cup's definitely half full. And I think this secret to what Jesus is teaching here 
has to do with the fact that whether your cup is half full or half empty, it's still empty. In other words, it's not all the way full. That the secret to being made well instead of just being healed has to do with gratitude. My cup is overflowing. Uh, we saw the 23rd Psalm video. The, the more traditional language of that is, my cup overflows or runneth over. Do you remember when? In the valley of the shadow of death. My cup is running over. My cup is overflowing. That the secret is that one out of the ten got this, is that he didn't just have a cup half empty or half full. His cup was overflowing because of what Jesus did for his life. Now listen, we all come to the foot of the cross. We're all diseased and broken. We're all foreigners to God. And we come and we put our faith in Jesus and he cleanses us. He heals us. But how many of us continue to live the rest of our lives without really giving thanks for what he has done? We live sort of like half Christian lives. Where yes, we are healed, but we're not well. Gratitude is the reason. Gratitude creates overflowing cups. That's what makes us well. I think this happens very often. I, you know, a lot of, all, just about all Christians would say, yes, I put my faith in Jesus. I've been forgiven of my sins. And, you know, now I'm living a Christian life. But it never really connects with their job or their family or their friends or just how they go about living their life. It's like this disconnect between the head and the heart. Or the head, the heart, the hands and the feet. It's like, I believe it, I know it, but I don't do anything with it. Nobody would ever know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And you know when that's a difference between like that's a strategy and that's an excuse. Gratitude is the difference. Do we come back to give thanks? Do we give thanks because no matter what happens, we, we have everything that we will ever need and more? Our cup is constantly overflowing no matter what. Even when we don't feel like it is. But we're just, we're just not used to that. If we're not feeling it, we're not thankful. I mean, listen, at the end of that Super Bowl, Cam Newton didn't get up and just, I'm going to Disneyland. Right? That's, that's not how we're conditioned to think. Because we have made thankfulness an emotion. And that's our problem. Our problem is that being thankful is not an emotion. Being thankful is a decision. It's a decision. That because of what God has done for me, I'm going to continuously keep coming back to give my thanks. You see what happens then? Then it's not half empty, half full. It's overflowing all the time. I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life and is doing in my life. Even though things don't look so great right now, my cup is overflowing, always. That's the secret to the Christian life. That's what life with God should be. That's what it should feel like. It should feel like overflowing gratitude. But we struggle with that. Life beats us down. Here's how Paul puts it, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. God doesn't want you to feel any emptiness. He wants you to be overflowing always. He wants you to be made well. You may be healed, but are you made well? What we learn from the lepers is no matter how far you are from God, all it takes is for you to cry out, to ask for help. And then when you feel Jesus telling you, giving some instructions, do it. And then come back and give thanks. You will be made well. Amen. Amen.